I have everything I've ever wanted with fulfillment. <laughs> Hello. Oh, hi, Merlin. How are you? Oh, hi, Dan. How are you? What's up? Is this our uh, appointed uh, time? To talk? Yeah, let me check. Mm, yep, yep, yep. It's appointed enough. How is, how is everything going there? Oh, my goodness. It's just swell. Do you want Am to record your side of it? Because, you know, with the Skype, I want to try this new thing. We want to do that? Well, not today, but yeah, next time. I always record my side, ABC. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. You're a pro. You're a pro. That's what they say you're, about you. You're so sweet to say that. It's so. nice to say that. Thank you. I mean, it feels better to say it when it's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Are you still getting over your cold? No. Do, why? Do I, not, I, sound, I feel like I sound myself for the first time in a while. I think it's your professional background. I think it's you, you can emulate a, a full nose because of your uh, RTV training. Oh, yeah. I mean, the radio TV. Radio TV. So I spent uh, some time in college as a communication major. <laughs> you have books for that? People would call me uh, Major. Major Tom. Major. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm listening to a lot of David Bowie, listening to a lot of Devo, listening to a lot of Beatles by, re- by request. Oh, I would love to talk about that. Yeah. I, have, I have nothing of substance to discuss and lots of <laughs> non-substance to discuss. So I would love to talk about the Beatles. We could do that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Don't even need a reason. Don't need a reason. It's your show. It's your show, and do whatever you want. <laughs> How's everything up there in San Francisco? It's big time up there with a rocket car. I'm just sitting here on my burning pile of money, but I don't feel it because I got burn-proof pants. <laughs> but I don't need to wear them because I have an uncanny fanny. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I like this show. Um, uh, uh, Paul, Paul uh, Kafasis was just talking about a word, a word he didn't like on... Um, on on the Twitter and, and Fanny is one of those words for me. I don't like the word Fanny. Fanny pack. Well, Fanny. This is doesn't where we Fanny get in, in the UK. Fanny means something completely different. Yes, I learned this from the Office, the UK version of the Office. Oh, there's lots of things like that. Like meant to means supposed to. I mean, going on beyond all the like Torch and Laurie stuff. This there's a whole bunch of these. Uh, yeah, fa- Fanny. It means you minge. <laughs> I think that's what he keeps. Us. I like that. Fanny. I don't like Fanny, but. Um, Paul was uh, tossing out, uh, not like, I don't like this word either. You ready? Mouthfeel. I don't like that one. I don't like that word. I don't like that word. They use that for, what is that, like cigars and wine? Oh, I love that band. No, um, I think. <laughs> they uh, I was they broke of, up in the late 90s. <laughs> it's from Miami, right? The guy with the beard? Yeah. Um, and then what did Nevin say? Nevin had a good one. Mergen. Nevin, Nevin Mergen. I love Nevin Mergen. He, uh, he, I, I, I don't like it when people who have English as a second language speak it better than I do. It's very frustrating. I don't like it when people speak English as a second language, period. <laughs> That's right. Speak American. <laughs> what, did, what did anyone say? He had a, oh, dis- <laughs> discharge. Oh, that can, I, that can never be good. You can never I, have a positive connotation around the word discharge. <laughs> well, when somebody gives you that classic setup and they say, well, here's the good news, here's the bad news, you, you will rarely hear discharge in the good news. <sighs> You can be then, you, one. One can be discharged, and I would think that would be bad. Oh, from the verb to to discharge. Yeah, one can have discharge, also mm. bad. To experience the experience of dischargement, <laughs> or to discharge w- one another doesn't seem or, fair. Or like a like an automatic weapon. Yeah, yeah. I had um, I, this doesn't bother me as nearly as much as it used to, but I used to really hate the word moist. You and uh, who is the other person? Uh, Chris. I think it's uh, a pretty common one. My friend Chris in Orlando. You you probably know him. He also used to not like that word. Oh, my friend Giles. Uh, they, they, I just drive him. My old boss. My my wonderful boss. I I could just 
there were two words that I could just yell over the cube wall and just I could hear him just <laughs> just creeping up moist. And I, I'd go like, Giles, succulent. Oh, <laughs> Succulent's pretty gross. And then panties, that's the other one I don't like. What's wrong with that? Mm, I don't like it. That it has sounds- only positive connotation. Moist panties, discharge. I think there's... No, the well, when you group them together, they're bad. You know what? That wasn't fair, Dan. You know what? You can't... There's, there's good panties and bad panties. Right. And there are crooks and criminals. There are doctors and there are lawyers. There is crime and there is punishment. Mmm, chunk, chunk. Do you have any words like that? Any other ones? This is not... I don't. You've hit most topic. of the big ones, I think, for me. Succulent, moist panties, discharge. That's a great guy to buy voices, EP. Two, three, four. I, you know, sometimes, but sometimes it's also like the way somebody says it. What was that? Somebody did a sketch about, you know, different people using different words and somebody like how just one guy saying the N word a certain way is like just, you know, the worst thing in the world. And like, you know, certain people saying certain like boy, like <laughs> you're a Southern sheriff, no matter how you say boy, yeah. that's going to sound bad because son, of the legacy. Son is another one. Son, okay. son. All right, listen, son. What about what about ladies? Well, see, I actually there's. <clears throat> I like that. I, I don't know why. I know, I know we're not supposed to say that, but wait, what? Well, you know, why? Why? Is lady? I don't want to get into it because everybody's angry. No, but, I, uh, I, I, please, it's understandable. No, enlighten me. This is a, to I my. I think Scott Simpson brought that back. Um, he said that once on "You Look Nice" thing. It made me laugh. But um, I don't know. I, yeah, there's just certain. I don't know what it is. I there's there's probably a language log post about this somewhere like why certain words like really like just are like nails on a chalkboard discharge mm, oozing <laughs> <sighs> pus I, you know i wasn't gonna go there yeah pus and the fact that it's so short and means so much i have two s to be puss oh I, I have a funny cash story for you if you want to hear it I'd love to hear it. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, I think I told you that he had a, the last time he had a fever and, and whatever else, because he's teething, because he, he's, he's always gotten a fever whenever he's teething, his whole life, every time. He had his six-year, not to interrupt you, but the last time you were molar. talking about the pain of a six-year molar. Right. So, that's still not completely through, but simultaneously now, the front tooth is starting to get a little loose. And your daughter's lost uh, a few teeth, Right. She's lost exactly two teeth. Two teeth. Did, did that hurt at all? Was there any pain or is it not pain? Um, I can't say because it's you know so subjective, but my impression from how she reacted and knowing that she can be kind of sensitive to things like that, it didn't bother her. I, I remember it feeling like it's, maybe it's just the teeth, the, the two lower front teeth mm-hmm. were easy or something, but I remember it seeming like it took weeks and it would drive me nuts. You get yeah. that little sucking action and like, ugh. But no, she she handled it fine. No I didn't. Fevers. I don't think there's any pain associated with this. But Cash is is, it, it, you know, because his only experience with teething that he remembers and the current one is painful. He, uh, he, you know, he said I, my front tooth is kind of bothering me a little bit. And I I looked at it and I put my finger on it and I moved it and I could. It would. It's not wiggly, but it's starting to. It gives the pillars of uh, are starting to release a little bit. You can just kind of feel it moving. <laughs> and I said, yeah. I said, it, uh, it, it, it feels like it's just starting to be loose. And he says, it's starting to hurt. Well, I knew it wasn't starting to hurt. Is it starting to hurt? And he's just, so the whole time he's taking a shower, he's like, it's hurting bad. It's hurting bad. 
I'm like, well, I'm not going to give him Advil or anything like that for this because I know that it's not really hurting. It's just in his mind, he's convinced himself that it's hurting. And maybe this could even be a show topic. Uh, he's convinced himself that it's hurting. And I said, all right, you know, I know we have these homeopathic, by the way, I don't, here come the emails. I don't believe in anything homeopathic. I don't believe it works. I think if it works, it's because people believe it works, which is fine. Uh, but I don't believe that the, the, a homeopathic remedy, not herbal, herbal, yes, homeopathic, no, will will do anything. So, you think this is going to save you? Yeah, this is going to save me. Uh, so I, I said, you know what? I'll give them these homeopathic teething tablets that are basically just, it's some kind of like sugar powder or something and, and, and does nothing. And cause like you can take one or the whole bottle and there will be no side effects for, okay. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll you might as well lick a lamp. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I went and I, and I look, I'm tearing apart the ca the cabinet downstairs where we keep all the, the medicine and stuff. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. I find some other thing that's called calm. I think it's called calm ease and it's supposed to, it's homeopathic and it's supposed to make your kids like, you know, help them fall asleep. And we, this never worked for him. Surprise. So but I found these little tablets and they're exact. They look and feel exactly like the teething tablets. So I go upstairs and say, listen, I'm only supposed to give you one of the young and like have three of these. And this will make the pain stop instantaneously. He's like, it will. I don't have to wait. Like with Advil. I said, no, it doesn't work immediately. I gave him three tablets. I'm like, how do you feel? Like, it's gone. Um, it's all better. I said, any pain at all? He said, no, these are great. I said, all right, let's go to bed. Wow. So uh, the next night, he said, it's hurting a little bit. Gave him, I said, Did, tonight you can just have one. He took one. I said, pain gone? Yep. Now, I don't think this would work if like, you know, he whacked his head and had a, you know, a bump bump on his head. I, I, I'm not sure if this would work quite as well. But because I knew that the pain was more or less imaginary, you know, uh, that uh, I felt like it most likely uh, this this would work perfectly. And it did. I'm glad to hear. Am I a good I, I, parent or am I a horrible parent? You're probably the greatest parent that has ever lived. <laughs> well, you know, I got a theory. I got a, I got a theory hey, on I the possibility. Did, I'm coming of this. to you I, to teach well, to teach me. You must not tell him this. No, he doesn't listen lose... to the show. No, I'm sorry to hear that. Sorry to lose him as a listener. I know, me too. Um, I mean, this this you could call this the placebo effect, but I think it's more than that. And I have to say, I think the placebo effect effect is a real thing. Marco had a post the other day about how he has members of his family who have felt a great relief in different kinds of chronic illnesses by taking, you know, this stuff that may or may not actually be scientifically provable. Uh -huh. Why am I talking like Carl Sagan? I like it. Um, <laughs> but uh, here's what I think it is. I, I think for a lot of, okay, again, this is not like a migraine. Or I think of a migraine to me as being, like, at least as, as an adult, the most like kind of inescapable canonical pain, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's the worst and it's just, it's the definition to me of like inescapable pain. Like you just have to wait and go somewhere dark and be still and hope that it goes away. Yeah. Like life. But um, <laughs> No, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let me put it this way. So think about two examples related kind of to what you're saying. Think about being in such a terrible mood that you're practically depressed. And then maybe even for a couple of days and then something really, really unexpectedly wonderful happens. And you completely forget that you were depressed. Well, you weren't, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's not that you were actually that stuck in that emotion. Mm -hmm. Something came along that, on the most superficial level, distracted you from how you were feeling and kind of, like, shook you out of it. Or think about, like, 
Uh, imagine you're like having a fight with somebody and then the house catches on fire. Well, suddenly you notice something bigger going on that makes you completely forget this other thing that's going on. Yeah. There's the old joke about, you know, like if you're, you know, like whatever, if you've got a headache, hit your hand with a hammer. <laughs> but it's kind of true. Like you will notice whatever the most, because I'm a clinician, as you know, <laughs> you will notice whatever the biggest thing you're feeling right now is. So I think what that did in a nut <clears throat> was enabled him to forget that he had this thing he couldn't stop thinking about, which was this little bit of pain. And this is why I think stuff like Tiger Balm, for example, quote unquote, works. Like if I've got a sore neck because I sit in the stupid chair all day. Yeah. It's very unergonomic my setup, and some sometimes, if, especially if I had too much coffee or something, my uh, my neck will start to hurt. And the thing is, I don't think Tiger Balm is making the pain go away. I think it's making me feel something relatively pleasant that's much stronger than the feeling of this discomfort in my neck. Which and that gets worse. And again, with a kid, this is a big thing with my my daughter. Have you ever like, for example, like say you're doing the dishes and you 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 feel something. And then a couple seconds later, you realize you cut your finger. Oh, Maybe you cut yeah. your finger really bad Oof. with a knife. But it didn't really hurt. This is totally a topic. You didn't totally hurt until you noticed that your finger's freaking bleeding in the sink. And at that point, boy, that's the most important thing in the world. But for that, like, what, even 15, 20 seconds, it's merely like a weird feeling. But you haven't yet identified as pain. But now you can't stop thinking right, about it. Right, when, because when you see it and the identification of this is an injury, it should now be painful— it becomes painful. Is that what right. you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's probably ex- extremely, um, I would have to guess, extremely valid medical reasons why, you know, when you see blood, you freak out because okay. that's your body telling you something's wrong. I think in that instance, and this is not to be dismissive of cash or anybody, but I think in that case, and same with me in the Tiger Ball, it gives me permission to stop thinking about this thing that I couldn't stop thinking about. In that case. So he took the pill, and whether or not it directly helped, if he believed that it would help, it was all, and it kind of doesn't matter whether it, it worked, quote unquote, if it like stopped the pain mm-hmm. from being, you know, sent through nerves or whatever. What matters is that enough came along. It could be a heating pad. Think about how a kid cheers up when you say you want to watch a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, you suddenly, you actually do have control over your emotions because suddenly now you, you're not crying because you said, I said you can watch a cartoon. Like something has overridden this other thing that you couldn't pull yourself out of. You know, that's really interesting. I'll tell you a, a little story that I, I've always kind of wondered this. So this is back in college. I was riding my Nishiki to, uh, to class. And is, is that a kind of native dress? It's a 12 speed bike. Okay. They don't make those anymore, do they? With the handle curve down handlebars and the banana seat. <laughs> it's true. They don't make why them, we, right? Like that's, that's not that? a thing anymore. We were They're suburban all... kids. We were not like <laughs> riding around a curved French track. Right. <laughs> But I had, that was like, that was the good bike to have. So I had that oh, bike yeah. and, and, and I had, um, <laughs> because I used to, in, uh, I used to ride the bike a lot. There were these little things that you'd put on, uh, on the pedals that were, they weren't exactly like, they weren't the kind of toe clips where like the racers would use where it's built into your shoe, but it was like a little metal thing that kind of went around and you'd put your foot in it so that you'd get more power on the yeah. upstroke as well, because I needed that going back and forth to, uh, to UCF from my apartment. And, uh, I, so I'm riding this. And the problem with this is that if you, if your foot, if you need to stop suddenly and like put your foot down, you really can't because your foot's in this pedal. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of, it's not locked in, but it, it's, it's not like you can just bring your foot out of it. You have to really practice getting out fast a lot. And I didn't, I did not practice. 
Yeah, and I, so, I've done that. <laughs> so I was riding along on, like, instead of on the side of the road, they had these sort of extra wide walking slash bike paths that you could ride all, alongside of uh, Alfea. So I'm, I'm riding on this, and what I didn't know was that at this one part of the bike path uh, and, and the grass, the grass, as Florida grass will do, had grown up to the same sort of height as the, uh, as the bike path, but it was actually about a foot lower where the grass, the base of the grass was. So that if you were ri to ride your bike off of the bike path onto the grass, you would imagine it'd be like a level surface or, or bumpy, but more or less level. But it wasn't. It was a huge drop. Like oh, almost you got tricked. You got tricked by the grass. I got tricked. So there was this really uh, pretty uh, girl walking. And I kind of looked at her, not to like in a flirtatious way, but just the way that a college guy in a will. a respectful way. Very respectful. The way a, a, a college guy will respectfully gawk at a college girl walking the other way. <laughs> <clears throat> and I, <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of look at her and, and the bike kind of goes and drops from the height of the bike path onto the grass because I wasn't, you know, paying perfect attention. And I didn't know that, uh, that it, the, the, the height difference was there. And so I... Uh, I'm, I'm riding it, boom, goes down like that and hits some kind of rock or something in there. And the bike goes forward, can't get my foot out of it. And the next thing I know, I'm like flying out forward with the bike attached to my feet behind me. And I uh, hit the ground and I, uh, I put one of my hands down to sort of brace it uh, on one side. And I braced my fall on the other side with my chin. And oh. it peeled back the, I don't want to get into too much of this. Cause you've, now you've seen me. Did you notice the scar? I know you were no. real close to me. Did you notice the scar? No, no, no. It's healed. It healed very, very, very well. But oh. uh, so, was there any moist discharge? There was a lot in in uh, in 1993. And anyway, so I I brace myself this way, and I get up, and now the girl's looking at me, and I kind of humiliatedly start looking, you know, riding the bike. The bike still worked, and mostly, and and so I'm riding it, and. It, and I didn't feel any pain. This is, this is why this relates to what you're saying. I felt no pain. Uh, and then I, I, I feel like my shirt's wet. I'm like, man, I must be sweating more than I thought. And I look down and the whole front of my shirt is red. Oh, God. And I'm like, why would it be red? Like, I didn't have a pen in my pocket or anything, You did didn't I? put it together initially. Not initially. And I looked down at my hand. I'm like, oh, my, well, my hand's bleeding. This must be blood from my hand or something. And then I touch, like, my neck... And I feel it. It's all wet. I'm like, oh, that's right. I did bump my chin. Maybe it's worse than I thought. And I touch my chin and, I, and they're, they're, my hand is instantly covered with blood. Anyway, long story short, I go to the clinic and they sew me up and everything's fine. But it wasn't until I sort of realized that I'd been hurt that it started to hurt. Please explain. <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I meant <clears throat> you. Uh, you summarized it. What did you say? It wasn't until I until I realized I'd been hurt that I felt any pain yeah. from it, and yeah. then it then it started to hurt. I started that's to get even upset. more like that's even more like life than sitting in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> so why 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 does this happen? It's amazing how much stuff is like life. I know. Turns out everywhere. Yeah. Well, and I I think. The thing that makes it interesting with with kids is, and I could be remembering this wrong, but like I feel like, um, and we've said this half a dozen times, but I feel like I remember feeling everything so much more intensely when I was young, especially pain. 
but it's you know things like excitement too, like you know or you know happiness. It would be I could be much more like over the top, like oh my god, we've arrived at Disney World. You know, ah, it's so <laughs> it's so fun. You're so overwhelmed. But also, I just remember, like I said, we I think I mentioned last week we. Um, she had, I think it might have been a little just like water in the ear. She didn't have like a full-on ear infection, mm-hmm. I don't think. Because you, I hate that phrase, but if she had an ear infection, you'd know it. I hate when people say that. If you'd been shot in the eye, you'd know it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that in that case, that's true. Because, I mean, that is the, an earache is like a childhood migraine. Oh, it yeah. It is like in, it's way worse. In, in retrospect, I think an earache that I had, I still remember having one of my first memories, I think, of being four and having an earache, and I had to fly with it, which made it even worse. Oh boy! I never had to get the tubes or anything like that, but I, like a lot of kids, I you know got earaches, and I just remember that being like the most overwhelming pain in the world. Now today, if I get a cold, if I get even like the the flu or or whatever, mm-hmm. I feel really 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 sick, but not as sick as I would get up until like my teens, and I don't know why that is, but. Almost any kind of thing, I, I feel like I can deal with most stuff like that. Maybe because I have so many baseline chronic injuries and uh, ailments of old age that I just don't notice them anymore. But <clears throat> I think for little, I mean, I really think that attention part is really an important aspect. In the in the chat room, uh, Orlando Mike underscore is saying endorphins. Oh. Endorphins are like the the what you get like the runner's high kind of thing, right? Yeah, I think, and I guess if you get hurt or something like that, maybe endorphins kick in, and like later you realize you were hurt. I don't know, but it happened at the same time that I realized there was all that blood. Like that's when that like my hand hurt right away when I looked at it, but then the chin did not hurt until later. But also, you were thinking about that lady, hoping she'd pick up her Mister Microphone and say, "Hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up I later." No, that would have been awesome. I got those ads? nothing Remember out of that. Nothing, Mister Microphone. Did you ever get a Mr. Microphone? That's the thing. Yeah, I had one. It's black with the big orange handle and the little uh, the little cable uh, antenna out at the bottom of it. And, and it you didn't tune work. your stadio- radio station to anything and it would never work. <laughs> it didn't work. You'd go to like whatever, 84.9 or whatever. You go all the way down. I know it doesn't go that low, but um, it, it just never worked. But, um, but I think it's an attention issue. I, I really, really do. And, and I'll take it in the other direction. Boy, this is going to be a boring old school episode i can tell already yeah uh but if you so if if the thing is if you distract a little kid with something that you know is a canonical source of fun and joy like if i say hey you can watch that stupid mulan movie i wouldn't say it that way but like if i again i mean that to me like let's be honest with a little kid if you offer them their favorite tv show they're gonna perk up if that kid doesn't perk up that's when you know that they're really really sick yeah if a kid like this morning my daughter uh had a really good night's sleep and slept later than usual and when my wife was shaking her awake, she she was like, "Oh, um, I'm too, I'm still tired. Plus, I have a headache and a stomachache, which I think is one of our first instances of her <laughs> fibbing a little bit, like willfully, obviously fibbing because she had to go to school. Now, if that was the day that we were going to go do something really, really fun, go play with a dog or something, like she would not have that quote unquote stomachache. It's an, I think it is very much an attention issue. So, on the one hand, having your attention diverted." in such a way that whatever you're feeling, even if it is like a totally real thing, I mean, I'm not trying to say pain isn't real and kids are fakers, mm-hmm. although they are. Um, <laughs> they but they no, totally are. <laughs> we all are. But I mean, the thing is, if you're, if you're ex- excited enough about something, you can really rally. But on the, at the same time, I think, you, I, I just know this for myself, that it, it is an attention issue in that, like if, if I get really morose and obsess over something or just give 
too much attention to something over and over and over, that becomes that becomes like a habit. So in other words, something that is relatively minor could just become the worst thing in the world because I can't stop thinking about it. It's a kind of um, – would that be obsessive or compulsive? I guess obsessive. Yeah, and, I mean, and, it's, and what could be more obsessive than having like like a headache or a cut on your hand? You know. Yeah, I, I was listening to last night on NPR, and I I didn't get, I had no idea who the interview was, but it it was one of these interview shows, and it was talking about a guy who uh, I don't you know he was some author or something, and he was talking about how it, he has this obsessive fear that he's going to it, that in in a situation where there's anxiety that he's going to vomit. Oh my God! Did you read that article? No. Is there an article <gasps> oh, going you, along with it too? Oh my God! You have to. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't interrupt you. But it's certainly because of this amazing article that that guy wrote. Uh, yeah. No. It, it, I'm sorry. Well, fill, fill in the details because I only caught the tail end of it. So oh look. my God! It's so good. I, I want to say I have to check Instapaper. I'll, I'll find it for now. How notes, about that? You, you 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 look at that. Oh, and could you I'll tell me our, about something you like? I, I can. I can. It's Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. Okay, so they are doing a special thing. It's a free trial so that you can go there. You can try it out all you want. And if you like it, I'm going to give you 10% off. There is a special code <laughs> perfect for this episode, FEAR, F-E-A-R. <laughs> that is the code. That's going to get you 10% off. Let me tell you a little bit about the way that these guys work. These guys, are co they're constantly updating their platform with new features. They've got designs. They're always adding people doing support. They've got beautiful templates that you can start out with. And you'd be surprised how far you can take one of these templates just by going into their little edit mode. And they came out with a brand new, have you been using it? Did you see the, the new uh, layout engine that they, that they brought in? No, the I haven't seen it. It's beautiful. It's all new. It's fully, it, it's even better than their old one. So now when you're adding... Uh, you know, you basically, to add something, let's say you want to add some, uh, just some text, you want to start typing, you hit the little, uh, the little plus button, you pick what kind of text you want, you can, it's built in, you can even default it to markdown if that's your thing, you can add images and drag and all of this stuff, they've just made it slicker and smoother and easier and is better than ever. And I use Squarespace for pretty much all the sites that, uh, that I make with the exception of like the 5x5 site and other things that I hand code. Now when I make a site, it's like default, I'm, let's start with Squarespace. And these guys are great. Uh, so much that they have built in. They've got a few different uh, apps for iOS and Android that has like their stats. So you can, uh, you can see what your statistics are and everything really, really, really simply. And they have the, uh, the, the regular Squarespace app lets you go in there and you can manage the comments on your blog. You can post, you can review things. You can do all of this stuff. It's all built in. They've got the the cool stuff for shipping, the stuff we did with Bacon Method. And uh, and so, like, somebody wanted to cancel their order. And I said, oh, I, I wonder how I have to, I have to go into Stripe to do that. No, it's all right there. You just click the thing. And I'm like, oh, well, what if they want to cancel part of their order? You know, like, what if they just decided they didn't want to mug? It lets you type in the amount of a refund that you want to issue. It's All of these things have been thought through. It, it's, a, it's a genius system. And they really, really care about uh, about people having success with their platform. So they've got really, really great support. It starts at just eight bucks a month. You hmm. sign up for a year, you're going to get a free domain name with it too. And again, use the code, uh, the, the code FEAR to get 10% off. Go there, check it out right now. Squarespace. Dot com. Thank you very much to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 five five and back to work with Merlin Mann. Thank you, Dan. I just sent you the link. Oh, wait, let me send you the <clears throat> single-page version. So so you heard this on NPR. I, I apologize. I totally interrupted you. Uh, well, it's just that I, I heard it on NPR, and uh, it, uh, it, it, it this guy is saying that uh, 
he is a, uh, I guess, some has this obsessive fear and anxiety that he's going to vomit. And he said in the thing that he hasn't vomited since 1977. Well, yeah, and it gets even better. Okay, fill um, me in, because I only heard like a snippet, but I, it was fascinating, and I've been trying to find out what the story is on it. Well, as ever, um, National Public Radio is a great place to find out what was recently in the New York Times and the Atlantic. And in this instance, <laughs> this is an article in the Atlantic. <clears throat> <laughs> nice one. Yeah. <clears throat> Dave, Dave Davies in for uh, Terry Gross talking with somebody about something that was in a New York Times magazine three years That's ago. That's it. Uh, and uh, got our uh, rock historian, uh, Ed Ward. Um, I don't listen to it. What are you talking about? <laughs> I can tell you now. Uh, Scott Stossel has a new book called My Age of Anxiety, Subhead, Fear, Hope, Dread, and the Search for Peace of Mind. And in this very long piece, which I'm maybe halfway through, uh, I found it a fantastic read. This guy has, uh, boy, you think you got anxiety. <laughs> this guy's got really, really bad anxiety and a ton of fears. And he opens by explaining what he does to be able to do a talk and it's this combination of like Xanax and like airplane bottles before he goes on stage. Like he is completely overwhelmed by anxiety. And but you know it's very well written. This article is very well written. But it gets to the to the nut, which is that his primary phobia is vomiting. Sorry, trigger warning. Um, he uh, he is <laughs> he, has, he has not vomited since 1977. He finally went to a therapist. Who said, look, the only way we're going to really be able to do this is through, what's it called, aversion therapy? Uh, is that where you introduce it a little at a time? Like and, if you're scared of spiders, they like they put a spider in a jar on the other side of the room until you're okay with they it. They send you a picture of a spider in a jar or a text about spiders. Right. Anyway, in this instance, like, well, here's the deal. Uh, there's, we've done this before. There's only one way to do this. We're going to have to give you some Mipicac and then like sit with you while you vomit. Like You're going to have to g- go through this and then process it. The thing is, like you know, you're, you've got to just do this. <laughs> and he had like the whole experience was just I don't want to spoil it for you but the, the whole experience of him doing this was is a riot it went terribly I mean like a just a groaning terrible experience and he didn't vomit he wouldn't let himself vomit after he had Ipecac so anyway That's uh, terrible. I, it's in show notes I recommend checking it out and I'll look for that NPR piece here it is I'll put that in notes too where can people um, find notes for this episode I'm glad you asked Dan you go to 5x5.tv slash B2W slash 153. Uh, yeah, I have 153 here, yeah. 153, and you can find the show notes for this episode. Uh, but it's, um, I don't know. I, 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 this is interesting to me in part because I do have anxiety uh, about things. Probably like, it's supposedly like one of the most common complaints for the last like 40 years. It's like one of the most common complaints that people go to the doctor and like the main thing they've got is like, there's a whole bunch of other things, but like pretty much everybody's anxious about something, if not everything. And that's the problem with anxiety. I mean, I, I, you know, as you know, I'm not a dictionary, but I think an important distinction between fear and anxiety, like I say, you know, if there's a bear running at you and it looks all mad and hungry, that's a good reason to be afraid, to have fear. Anxiety is walking around all day going, I, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a bear pretty soon. And that will never be resolved. The problem with anxiety is it's, it's a kind of compulsive fear about something that's unknown and that can become so it's just to me like if i'm not careful it can become the only thing i think about is just to sit around and obsess and be anxious Mm -hmm. you know so um, and it it becomes a spiral oh yeah i again it's a shame that it's that the correct term for it is a positive feedback loop loop it should be a negative feedback loop but basically that, that thought gets amplified over and over and over again the more you think about it and 
it's in terms of my interest in this, which is professionally, which is attention, that becomes what you pay the most attention to is you start feed, looking for things that feed that anxiety. If you're if you have anxiety that like you don't fit in and people don't like you, you will find so much evidence in the world. Pretty much everything you will we'll put it this way. I, I think I'm not a clinician, but I think you will eventually get to where you block out everything that could tell you stuff that suggests you're not a terrible person. You will just find every instance in the world of stuff that tells you you're a terrible person. You will look for constant evidence of things that show that everybody in the world hates you. And and then that pretty much becomes your life. You've made that your life. In the same way that you could think yourself from a minor headache into like brain cancer. Sorry, trigger warning, brain cancer. <laughs> you could talk yourself into being a terrible person by believing that that's all the information that's out there. And that And the sick part of it is that anxiety becomes almost... Comfort would be the wrong word, but it becomes something that is so much a part of your life that it's almost like a companion. It's like that little demon on your shoulder that's there all the time, just constantly reminding you to never forget that there's something you should be worried about and can't do anything about. Well, and you also get very used to, I found, and I don't know if this is a typical thing, if you've experienced this also, but that if you get into a pattern of having something that you worry about, that your mind will kind of want to find something to worry about. So you're like, oh, you know, that... Uh, that mole on my back wasn't anything bad. I can stop worrying about that. But this thing on my thumb looks what You know what I'm saying? Like you're always looking for something. Or if it's not a physical thing, then it becomes, oh, man, I, I you know, I, I, I got that phone call coming up. That's making me nervous. Or, oh, we got this thing coming up on the weekend. Or I've got this trip and I'm giving a talk. I'm starting to obsess about it. And like your mind gets into the pattern of worrying uh, or having anxiety. And it begins to look for things to have that kind of anxiety about. Even when nothing is is there or that warrants it. And and I, I think, not to interrupt what you were going to say, but I think that the thing that determines whether or not it, you have, uh, whether or not it's, it's okay is if you're having an overreaction to something, if you're having... Impro- as they would say in Buddhism, improper attention. If you're, if you're, you know, obviously if you get stabbed, yes, like that warrants a lot of attention. But if, you know, if, that part of your wrist is itchy and you don't know why, maybe that's not something you need to be thinking about all day and give it a week and see if it goes away. It's that improper attention. It's paying too much attention and, and worrying too much about something when uh, that you, you kind of need to pay attention to it. Does that make sense? Like that, that mm-hmm. you're worrying well, about and, something and it's you funny don't you should mention about. like a thing on your wrist because in the case of something like, uh, let's say you've got a rash and that rash worries you. Well, there's, plenty of skin conditions that get so much worse by having anxiety or stress, stress in particular. Do you, do you know? I mean, so so you can, or for example, like, you know, if you have problems like intestinal disorders, there's all kinds of conditions that are made, on the one hand, made so much worse by anxiety and can potentially be made a little bit better by getting rid of anxiety um, or stress. I mean, and I think they're different things. I'm going to have to find something after you later on tell me about something else you like. There's a wonderful talk on Gil Fronstahl's site that I I think I told you about this talk. Uh, This woman did that I found extremely helpful. That's all about, in mindfulness practice, uh, the roles of fear, anxiety, worry, and doubt. And do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the five hindrances. Oh, okay. Wow, is that a thing? I should get a a (laughs) t-shirt. Yes, it is a thing. Uh, <laughs> I should get a poster and then be worried about how it's hung up. Yeah, it's that they're they're called the the five hindrances, and um, so you have, uh, well, the five hindrances 
are a little bit different. Let me think. It's been a while since I looked at this. Okay, so you've got uh, desire, ill will, sloth, restlessness, worry, and doubt. So those are the five hindrances. Is that um, what she was talking about? Sounds pretty close. Okay. I'll find it. I'll find it next time. But it, it's a. I, I I've listened to it not several times, many times because yeah. it has helped me so much. And uh, you know that old joke of ours, like, do you believe your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, it is really, you do not have to be like a fruity California granola crunching hippie to understand that what you appear, what you, what you think over and over becomes who you are. And that's not, I'm not trying to say you should go out and like, you know, you know, be the ball Danny or anything like that, <laughs> but you, you can really think yourself into almost anything. And in my opinion, you can think yourself out of virtually nothing. That thinking, and and this is what I was interrupting you about, was that you, you got onto something there that I've been thinking a lot about in the last month because uh, it scares the crap out of me. It's one thing to feel like, oh my gosh, I've become a very anxious person. And to the anxious person, I'm going to postulate, the anxious person feels like there are these, whatever, let's say probably one, but for the sake of argument, one to five things that are causing, if I'm honest with myself, an irrational amount of negative feelings mm-hmm. in me. And the irrational part is important. Um, like a rational or a rational amount of those feelings would lead you to probably want to do something about it, ameliorate it, or forget about it. But it's not rational. And so instead, those just amplify and you're maybe not doing anything about it. But what started to worry me, meta-worry me, was that like people who are addicted to crisis or like people who are, I don't know, into extreme sports, I guess, right? Like if you... You, I would, I, I have concerns that if not tended to, that anxiety is no longer really about a thing. It's about itself. And the, uh, to, uh, to your point, that that anxiety will always find something to be anxious about to feed itself. Right. Like it, it wants it, to grab onto something and, and it tends to be something that's not, doesn't warrant that. Well, it becomes like a malignant tumor that's not a particularly choosy eater. Like it will, it will gl- really glom onto anything that will get on its radar screen because once you get good at being anxious, you can find a way to be anxious about practically anything. You get really good at it. And in the case of this, and poor it's like fella, it's a skill you don't want. He spends. He talks about having to like how it's gone on to affect all these other parts of your life. And you know, on a lower level, I think this is true of procrastination too. You could build up all these infrastructures. Where in his case, he had like he, he basically the present thought uh, top of mind that he had every waking hour was constant fear that he was about to vomit wherever he was. Which, you know, haha, that sounds really funny if you don't have that. But if you've ever had a phobia or an anxiety, it really sucks. Um, and in that case, like, he's doing everything he can to, like, control, like, what he eats and drinks to have, like, the equivalent of, like, barf bags around everywhere he goes. And, like, just think about that, what that would be like all the time. So, anyway, my only concern there, the thing that freaks me out is to think, well, what if, what if that anxiety is not really about a certain thing, put differently, if all of those issues were addressed and I got rid of those one to five things I was anxious about, would the anxiety go away? Because my gut tells me, my sick gut tells me that that anxiety can get to be such a resident in your life that it doesn't even really need anything of substance. It All it really needs is just something. Yeah. And you will fill that closet of anxiety with whatever's available all the time. Yeah, that, that's a really good way to do it. And I remember... That uh, when I was in like therapy, like eight or eight years ago, nine years ago, whatever, um, you know, uh, she was asking me to sort of describe like what the anxiety feels like because I would, get, I, I felt like I was always dealing with and do, 
her term for it was generalized anxiety disorder, which sounds mm-hmm. really wonderful. And uh, and it's 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 actually. A, I think that's a more common condition than a lot of people realize. I think it probably is. And it is. It's it's a thing for real. You know, and the way that I described it was like like there's I'm I, I'm always feeling or at the time I was always feeling a a certain level of stress and anxiety, and it always felt like there were these sort of little loops going on in my head of like, I got to worry about this thing. And then I got to worry about this thing. And then you worry about this thing. And this thing is stressing me out. And so that then like one little thing would go wrong and I would start spiraling into this. Oh my God, like I can't handle it. It's too much. And it was almost like a, you, you have like a backpack with, you know, that, that never fully gets emptied. You've carried bricks around in your backpack, you know, and you've got you, like, I can manage 10 bricks, like 10. That's, that's all right. I can manage, but 11, forget it. It's too much. I can't deal with it anymore. And, and that's what it was like. And it was, I could never get lower than like eight or nine bricks. You know, I was always carrying these things around. I could never get to having three or one or none, like forget about it. And it was even, even these little things. I remember, uh, one time I was talking to her and, and, uh, I, we were talking about, you know, the benefits of exercise for anxiety and stress. And I was saying, well, you know, I jog a lot. This was, you know, way back. I, I jog a lot and, you know, and I, I, and she's like, well, what do you do in your jog? Like, what do you think about? What do you, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm usually listening to music or a podcast or something like that. And she's like, she's like, well, have you ever, you know, tried like not listening to anything? I'm like, God, I, I couldn't do that. And she's like, she's like, well, why not? I'm like, well, I would, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything to listen to. She's like, okay, so what, what would happen if you didn't have anything to listen to? I'm like, I, I couldn't not have anything to listen to. She's like, why not? You know? And, and so I tried it and it actually was great, you know, but that's the kind of thing that you, you convince yourself in your mind that, you know, that you need certain things on the one hand. And then on the other side of it, your mind kind of gravitates towards a, a certain line of thinking. And I remember something since we, you allowed us to, to bring up, I mean, it's your show, so we can only, you know, talk about, you know, your topics, but like oh. uh, you allowed us to talk about Buddhism a little, um, you know, like there's something that the Buddha once said, which is that like the, your, your certain thoughts create, and this is a, an analogy of some kind, but it, it creates like a channel, like a river that slowly creates a, a giant, ca- you know, canyon that's eventually the Grand Canyon, you know, that this river or however that was created, I know they debate that, but you create, you know, the river kind of drills this hole and drills this path. And the more that the more, the, the deeper the path gets, the more water goes through, the bigger the river gets, etc. And it's the same with your thoughts that if you find yourself thinking about a certain thing or thinking a certain way, then those thoughts will, you're, you're essentially training your mind to have those kinds of thoughts and that it, that it can be very difficult to divert that and create a new path for the water to travel, a new place for your mind to go. And you have to train your mind actively to think about it in, in a, a different way. Like we talked about a long time ago, snapping the rubber band, right? Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. I'll, I think I'll, I think that's true. Another way to think of it would be like ruts in the road. Um, yeah. Or when you were talking about your bike story, I was waiting for for what I always used to do, which is when you're riding along a sidewalk and you move aside to let somebody ride along, the front wheel just slightly goes off the sidewalk. Right. And then you're like, you're in the rut. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, I think that's a good way to put it. And I think the, um, I think the ironic, difficult, paradoxical part of this is that because of the nature, the nature of anxiety is that um, I have a, 
a fear about something that isn't happening right this second, mm-hmm. but could happen and could be in my head endlessly bad. And my, my theory on this is that because it's not about a particular thing at a particular time with a particular consequence that will be done by this, you know, that, that basically your mind is looking for something to rest on or something to settle on. To like, and what's 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 weird is that I think the familiarity of that particular anxiety. I say it can be like a companion or like a resident. I really believe that. Where like it can be comforting to you. It's almost like pushing a bruise. Like you feel like it becomes more real. And in thinking about it in that particular way, I don't know if this is making sense. But if you've got an obsessive anxiety about something, it's. I don't think it's unusual for an anxious person to continue obsessing more about it in a way that actually does make it seem more real which is not comforting in the sense of removing anxiety, mm-hmm. but it might be in the sense of like a quickening, like you're making this thing, you know what I mean? I, I don't know how to describe it, partly because it's so illogical, and yet I think it's what we do. I know it's what I do. No, I mean, I, well, so what does that feel like when you're in your mind? Like what's the process that happens? Oh God, I feel like I jinx myself to even talk about it. I, you know, it could be anything. I mean, think about stuff like, if I think back to like classic anxiety stuff, like stuff about relationships or about like school projects, mm-hmm. I was always anxious about like stuff that was going to be due for school. Yeah. But in retrospect now, those seem really trivial, especially the school stuff. Cause you're like, well, you know, if you don't turn the paper in, you won't get a grade. That's bad. But you know, I think in order for it to be a really, really interesting and horrifying anxiety, it has to be something where you can also escalate the stakes in your head higher and higher and higher. If it's just if it's just something like I wonder if they're going to have pecan pie in the cafeteria today. <laughs> That's not a big one. Well, cuz that does have an end to it and I, there may be a way you can make that really really big. But instead if you go like, well, I'm not sure if I if I like bit my tongue or I have cancer or I'm not sure, you know what I mean? Like everybody's got those things like you see yeah. on your hand. Like is that a is that a stain from like changing the oil or do I have melanoma? And you sound like George Costanza or something. <laughs> right. But but sometimes all in an anxious person or an obsessive person, it only takes planting that one little seed and you go, oh yeah, that's totally cancer. <laughs> but of course then, so what do you do? You go and you look, look stuff up on the internet. You try and find information. Because again, I think your brain wants, your mind wants to settle on some kind of finality and proving that it is the worst possible thing in the world becomes a kind of victory for an anxious person because now you have a reason to have been so anxious that whole time. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost, yeah, it is almost like that, the way you describe it as a vindication. I knew it. I knew there was something wrong with me. <laughs> See, I told you I had pecan cancer. That's right. All right, why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell me about something else that you like and then I'll tell you about this uh, where this podcast is. I would love to do that. Our second sponsor for today is shutterstock.com you will find there over 28 million images stock photos vectors illustrations a million video clips isn't that crazy you go to shutterstock.com that's how you get started it does not cost any money to do this you create a little account it's free you don't give them a credit card or any of that until and if you choose to buy something so while you're browsing around there or using the ipad app to do it which is completely amazing and i highly uh highly recommend it uh you basically go there and you are browsing all of their images. You can search by a keyword. You can narrow it down. Say, oh, you know what? I just want illustrations. I just want vectors. I want photographs. I want just pictures. Whatever it is. You narrow it down and you start searching. You can also, they have these amazing little utilities that make searching easier. You can search by color palette. 
So you can specify a color. Let's say you you know you know oh well the color palette of this has kind of this this greenish blue. You pick the greenish blue from uh, from the little slider, and then you type the word frog, and it's going to show you a greenish blue frog. You put all these images that you find into your Lightroom, then you can share the Lightroom Lightbox rather. You can share the Lightbox. You can uh, you can. Uh, you can email it to people. You can invite other people who have Shutterstock accounts to collaborate with you. And now they can contribute to the Lightbox. Great for working on projects. Great for finding the, the, the images that you want, figuring out what you want to use, or just saving them for later. Now, you can, you can buy just one image. When you do, you're going to get the high-res version along with it, or, or video, whatever it is that you're getting. Or you can get one of these enhanced licenses so that you can print something out for your trade show, or you can get a, a setup where you have a certain number of downloads that you're allowed to get a day or a week. Whatever it is that you're doing, whatever your project is, uh, you know, you're giving a talk somewhere, you need, you get 20 slides, you need 20 images, you can do that. And you're going to get a really great discount, 25% off. The code is, now, I understand that it, 2013 is over, but mm -hmm. we're, we, th this code is still good. Back to work, 1213, 1213. Back to work all spelled out, 1213, is going to get you 25% off anything that you do over at Shutterstock. So please go check these folks out. Huge, huge library. Tons and tons of stuff. You'll be surprised. And they're adding 12,000 videos a week, 20,000 new images every day. Isn't that crazy? So uh, thank you very much to Shutterstock.com for supporting 5x5 and uh, Back to Work with Merlin Mann. Don't forget that code, Back to Work 1213, for 25% off anything. It's a lot of percent. It's a, a lot huge of percent. One. It's bigger than you think. Mm hmm. 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 <laughs> Real big. Uh, I put that talk in show notes. The only permalink page I can find for it uh, autoplays the audio, but um, but it's it's really good. You can download it and listen to it. But I mean, there's there's something to a lot of this uh, anxiety stuff. Part of what makes it interesting and so insidious is again like it's like it's you know first cousin procrastination it is very illogical it's there's you know if you try to explain procrastination to somebody who doesn't procrastinate they're going to make a lot of jokes about could you tell them later but like not understand that like th there's something really it's a shameful thing to have it's it's shameful to feel ang anxious it's shameful to feel uh, to be a procrastinator there's these certain kinds of things that it's no fun because you can't really explain it to other people. You don't get to really be like a victim that everybody feels sorry for. You know, well, if you have anxiety, just quit worrying. Yeah, people who don't, people who don't experience it or experience it at the level that somebody who does deal with this on a regular basis, they, they really don't get it and there's no way for them to really to really get it. You know, like... Well, I, I mean, and that's the trouble is that's how life is. I mean, yeah. every, I mean... <laughs> Don't wait for the entire world to have to understand you before you try to fix something. There's going to be a whole bunch of people who don't understand you, and that's okay. Just go do your thing. Don't worry about it. But just so you know, I mean, that's I think that's part of what makes that so hard. That's why, you know, procrastination is a little easier to talk about, um, but I think it has a lot of the same symptoms to it. Um, shoot, I saw a link from somewhere the other day that explained this pretty well. I still think that book... Um, What's called the Now Habit by Neil Fiore is pretty good for people who procrastinate because it, it takes a an unusual approach to procrastination that's I think unusual and a little different. Uh, most people who who see a, a procrastination, for example, from the outside, think, "Well, just just buck up and go do it." Well, not understanding that people who are procrastinating, they're doing it because of lack of security, out of a kind of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And again, it can certainly feed itself, and that makes you procrastinate more. But in the case of procrastination, it's you know, 
as I like to say, I think of procrastination as being a cause or as being um, an effect, not a cause. The, 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 the real the, the procrastination is when you're not getting stuff accomplished that you feel like you need to be getting done. But why is that happening? Well, it's happening because something in your, in your mind is keeping you from getting that thing done. That's, it's not just that you're lazy, although that certainly helps in my case, but there's something <laughs> before that happening that's making much worse. There's some block. And in the case of like a, in getting things done, the idea is like if there are, there are some fairly easy things you can do to be procrastination if there's no good reason. If it is, if it's simply, <laughs> seems so obvious, if you just haven't thought about it enough or haven't thought it through enough to put it differently. If you haven't thought through the steps to this thing being done, if you haven't thought about whether it's something you actually really want to and need to or will do, if you haven't thought through all that stuff, then you shouldn't be surprised that you are, that your brain is kind of has a wheel stuck in the mud because that's something you're never actually going to do. And gosh, you're better to just get rid of it and then not feel bad about it. But procrastination is also about creating a sense of security to where you know you're not going to die if you get started on it. It's that fear of getting started on something that, that's so crippling there. But I mean, I, again, I think it has a lot in common with anxiety because you don't want to tell people that. You want to go like, I know intellectually that I should be able to do this, but I can't. Yeah. I think that's what makes any kind of a, a mental or emotional problem um, so thorny is that people can't see it except in what a mess your life is. Mm. It makes you very unsympathetic. And so, oh, you just say, oh, that person's crazy or whatever. And it's, you know, uh, as you could probably guess, there's actually a lot more to it than that. And, you know, it's... It's one thing to say, like, I'm really busy and my boss is mean, because then that does give you a lot of ground cover for why you're the way you are. But there may be deeper reasons why you stay in a job like that. It may be that you stay in a job like that because it's perfectly suited for the kind of maladies that you have, that you, you get to be behind all the time, I think. Um, I, I, for myself, like my entire academic career, especially in Florida, uh, I had done really well in school before I moved, had a kind of tumultuous early teenage years. And then I was useless. I was just useless in school. And I would hand stuff in, start it at the last minute, hand it in at the last minute, get the incomplete. The day before the grades had to go out, I'd put this thing in. This guy talks about, he wrote his thesis in three days. The guy in the anxiety book. He, he wrote his entire thesis in three days. That's he, crazy. He put it off for so long. And he, and he like couldn't feel his hands. Like he, he like numbed out. Wow. Anyway, I, like in that case, like um, it, it, you go from... Uh, I just can't get started on this and you flip instantly into panic and panic is the only thing that allows you to get anything accomplished, whether it's good or bad. But then if you've done that for 20 years, you also kind of get that cool ground cover of going, well, of course, you know, I only worked on that for a night mm. and then you can collect all your accolades. Right. People going, you know, that <laughs> right. sucked, but it was really good for being written in one night. And I, well, I've certainly been guilty of that, but you know, um, I, I don't have an easy way out of this, unfortunately. Um, except to realize that with all of these things, in the smallest, tiniest way, just abstractly, as I like to say, take a step back and try to realize that those are really, they're real feelings mm -hmm. that come from real places that are real hard to get rid of, but they are still all things in your head. There may be things in your head about stuff that are real, but realizing that all that stuff is actually in your head. That doesn't mean you're crazy, but it does mean that like all that stuff is happening. This is where I think things like, Cognitive behavioral therapy, which didn't work for the anxiety guy, can be so useful for people because you realize if you have a fairly um, modest version of any of these problems, you start to realize how much of these problems you've created yourself. Unfortunately, for some people, you could create all those problems for yourself and it's not going to be as easy as snapping a rubber band. But I mean, you know, 
then again, for people who have that really, really, really bad, it makes it just worse. Mm-hmm. To go, oh, great. Now I know I am crazy because it is all in my head and I can't change it and I'm going to die and I have three kinds of cancer and I didn't mow my lawn. I just built. Yeah. If, well, it feeds is what it does. Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, anxiety is a goat. Like it'll eat a tin, tin, tin can. It doesn't, it doesn't care. Like whatever, whatever can, you can turn anything into anxiety it's like it's like an emotional stem cell. You can do anything to make anything an anxiety once you're good at it. I think. I'm, I'm putting that into the an emotional stem cell. Emotional stem cell. Did you get that? Got it right here. So what's up with your with your son's tooth? Is he is he? What happened with the six year molar? Still working its way up. Hmm. I mean, the it's, fever. The fever went down. Yeah, though? that only that is only there for like the first two days, and then the next week or so, they're two. Tooth will come through. But these are big. These are big ones. He's got big teeth? Well, these are the full-size adult molars coming through. <laughs> yeah. That would that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Doesn't Anthony Robbins seem like he has unusually large teeth? You ever look at that guy's teeth? The whole upper head is big. I mean, for the whole <laughs> The whole upper head is big. Like his big, head. Big upper head, some large teeth. <laughs> yeah. The, the teeth, the, 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 the teeth, I think, are the right size for the... For the mouth. You're saying they're built to scale. I think it's his whole head seems larger than necessary for the body. But that's because he's, he's got so like an smart. HO scale head. What do you think of the, his stuff? Do you believe that? Like everybody who helps people, I think he has some good things to say. And sometimes the devil is in the implementation details and, you know. No, he's, he's got nice things to say. He's, I haven't read any of his books but he's a very good speaker. He seems like a genuinely nice guy who wants to help people. But he sometimes eh, gets pretty close to what I now think of as the secret. He, he seems like he gets a Magi- little. It's one a thing little to magical say, is what you're. Well, this is actually well magical thinking or like the whole you know law of attraction kind of stuff, uh, which we definitely don't want to get into. Um, but but here's another way to here's another way to bring this back around to our discussion. Um, so your son's going to be okay, though. Oh, yeah, he's fine. All right. Um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, a popular book at my church and in my family was that Norman Vincent Peale book, uh, The Power of Positive Thinking, mm-hmm. which got so popular that I think thinking positively got a bad name. You started to think of optimists as being unrealistic. Mm. Um, I, I'm not here to try and sell you on becoming optimistic. I, I would like to try and at least persuade you on the idea that how how you choose to look at events in the world can actually have an effect on how you feel and definitely how you think and further down the line, how you decide about stuff. And so for those of you who are sitting at home in a, in a curled up in a ball right now because you have the kind of anxiety that I'm talking about, you know what I mean. Yeah. You know how, how you can talk yourself into anything, how obsessive thoughts can become so overriding. For people who may not think they have that, it may not seem like a big deal. It's one of those things like, you know, if you if you don't have perfect pitch, you don't miss it because you don't know what that would be like. Um, or if again, if you don't have anxiety, you don't it may not be sympathetic. Um, but I'm not saying to go out and be unnecessarily. I think most optimists sound completely insane. People who are too optimistic sound like crazy people who are just trying to talk them you know people who are too positive like new agey kind of people every time they have like tweets about how their their life is full of joy i always imagine them sobbing 
I imagine in a sobbing voice. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be any better. I have everything I've ever wanted with fulfillment. <laughs> it's like, it's, I don't know. It's like people who are too happy all the time are very suspicious to me. Um, but what I will say is that like, if you suffer from things, and again, if you, if you got this bad, I'm sorry to be all like, you know, a lawyer here, but like, go get help. You know, if, if it's bad, you got to go get help and you got to talk to somebody. But if, if you're just trying to f- find a way into this, which I think is what most people, that's the problem most of us have is like, how do I find a way into this? Or if you like out of this, is there a way to just crack a tiny little air hole in my problem that could show me that there's something possible that will let some light shine through? Um, and I think one of those is to realize that like y- the way that you think is a process. It's a process that has evolved over time. And right now you may not feel like you have that much control over the way that you think. Um, if that is true, then I'll, this might be a straw man. But well, the thing is, you do have power over how you think. You're just doing it in a really damaging way. You're actually some part of you. That's all you. All that stuff is you. It's mm-hmm. all in your head. It's all in your soul that's making you feel that way. And by not doing something to break that chain of negativity or anxiety or whatever it is, you're, you're not making yourself better. And there actually, there are ways out of that. Um, through any variety of means. But one of them is to realize the most basic thing, which is that I am thinking thoughts. Um, And, you know, I don't think you even, it would certainly be helpful to have something like the start of a meditation practice, but even just basic awareness, just thought stopping, any of that kind of stuff to make yourself go, wow, I've been thinking this all morning. And I don't feel great about that. I haven't done what I wanted to do. And I haven't done anything about the thing that I feel bad about. Have you ever, like me, suddenly realized you've been singing a song in your head for 30 minutes? Yes. Like, I'll I'll, I'll find myself going, wait a minute. There'll be this dawning. And I'll I'll have this flash. It'll be like, uh, this won't mean anything to you, but it'll be like the silence. Like the silence of these characters in Doctor Who that you can only remember when you're looking at them. And then when you look away, you never remember having seen them. Hmm. Like I'll suddenly catch this glimpse out of the corner of my eye and go, not only am I singing, I believe in miracles, where you're from, you suck the thing. But I've been singing it in my head for 30 minutes. And I stop. I take my hands out of the dishes, on my bloody hands. And I go, oh, wait a minute. I heard the word sexy on the radio 45 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. And in a way that I have absolutely no understanding how this happened. This is how dumb my synapses are. I have no idea how this happened, but now I'm singing a song from like 1975 and I don't know why. And I didn't know I was singing it. Okay. I went to college and stuff. I do stuff like that all the time. And I, I, for me, realizing that and having a little laugh at my own expense reminds me that like, if you're like, if you're at least like C minus smart, you'd be amazed what kind of stuff goes on in your head that you're not even aware of. A creative person is the greatest procrastinator because they can also become the greatest creator of all the peril about what will happen if it doesn't go flawlessly. Right. Perfectionists, a lot of perfectionists are potentially very creative people, but we'll never find out because they can't get they can't break out of that loop, if you like. Mm-hmm. And so in that instance, like that, I hope you can laugh along with me if you've ever done that and realize that somehow things make you think things but you are still the thinker of those things. God, I sound like such a douchebag. But thats I really think that's valuable because that's the very first step to realizing you're not being, you're not, there's not some little motor in your head that's making you think a certain way. That's all happening in your own organics. And I don't have an easy way for you to fix that, but I would have to say that the very first thing that for me, that helps me is realizing that I am the thinker of those thoughts. Mm. 
and I could choose to think about other things. Maybe, maybe uh, to ignore it. I'm not sure if that's the best way to do it, but to at least sit with it and be aware of it and to think about whether this is something you really want to be thinking about all the time. And to, to, but to allow yourself to, if you realize that you're the thinker of the thought and not, the, not being <laughs> conducted by that thought, you can take on a slightly more first-person role of saying, oh, hmm, first of all, I don't really want to be thinking that all the time. Like maybe I should sing this song and get it out of my head. Um, but if it's something that's an obsessive thought uh, about an anxiety, I don't know. I, I'm reluctant to get into this because I, I really don't know the first thing about psychology. But I'll just say that for myself, it does help to be aware that above all else, just realize that's, that, that's, that's coming from somewhere inside of you. It's not the world making you how you are. You're going to find ways to show how the world has made you how you are. And you're going to have a flawless memory for all the things that underscore these terrible things that are going through your head. But there, there, are, there are numerous ways out of it that, that are a little bit beyond my own ken. I would say things like talking to a friend. Have you ever had a crazy thought and just gotten it out of your head by talking to somebody? Yeah. You feel, you feel like a human being again. Because you realize that that was a thing you just needed to say to someone. And then sometimes you do hear it does sound a little crazy in the air and you feel better. Something like cognitive behavioral therapy, realizing that there are things that happen in the world. And then A, there are things that happen in the world. C, there are ways that you feel. And then B is something that happened in between that caused something that happened in the world to make you feel that way. And learning to take ownership of B to where you, you become a person who, who starts to be more aware of the actual evidence for why you feel the way you do, why you're angry or depressed or sad or angry or what have you. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly then, I guess you could go down the route of like, you know, therapy and there's probably different kinds of, you know, medical regimens, changes in diet, getting more sunlight, getting some sleep. I mean, there's like a thousand ways to at least start to address this, but I, this way beyond the can of a podcast. But I would just say like, have a little hope in the idea that there, there, there can be air holes poked in it and I think that starts a little bit with realizing that you're the thinker of the thought. I love that. Do, do, you know, that doesn't that kind of comport with your practice? 100%. Elaborate. Well, it, you know, being the, okay, so you, you talk, you know, you mentioned before that, do you believe your own thoughts is something that we've said and, and has kind of become a thing is that, you know, catching yourself. And that's the whole thing that, that meditation I think one of the the biggest goals of meditation that they don't really talk about often in this way is is catching yourself, catching the thought. It when you meditate and you have a regular meditation practice and you get into the very the very deeper states of meditation which are called jhanas, you almost you almost can see it's like the thinking process itself really is a process. And and there are these stages of this process that happen that that uh, the formation of a thought and the way that this process happens, you can actually in, in the very, very deep states of meditation that take several years to use for most people take several years to get to the point where you can observe, actually observe a thought, which sounds kind of, I don't, I don't know what the right word is, but it, it, it sounds almost a little fantastical, but it is possible to observe the thought process itself. And if, if you can get to that point and do that, then you see the way that thoughts come about in the mind and the way that, that this process happens to the point where when you're not meditating, you're probably not able to do this unless you're like an enlightened being. But if, if you're just a regular person, that training that you're doing 
of watching the thinking process lets you, takes you from, I'm angry to, oh, that's anger. I know what that is. And you now have a choice. Do I, do I get angry or do I just realize that that's an, that this is an angry feeling? And back to the, to the time when I was in therapy and, and, uh, and, you know, I remember that's, that's what led to me starting the whole meditation practice in the first place uh, that, you know, one of the things that, and I remember it was Gil who said this, um, you know, like I would be sitting there feeling anxious, feeling anxiety, feeling stress, feeling all of these things as I'd be sitting there meditating. And I would realize <laughs> I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> right. Right. But in, in actuality, that's what I used to feel like I didn't realize that I'm supposed to sit there and just watch it go by. Right. Instead, I, I would say I got to quit because I'm doing it wrong. Right. I'm not sending out. Right. Or, or like, or like I'm this, I'm, I'm not, but in fact, you're doing it exactly right. If you can take the emphasis away from, uh, man, I'm feeling this too. Okay. I'm, I can sit with this feeling of this is, you know, what does, okay, what does anxiety feel like? It feels like my shoulder is cramping up. It feels like a tightness in my chest. It feels like my heart is beating heavy, whatever. It feels like I'm nauseous, whatever. Th those that, oh, oh, this is anxiety. Okay. And so what can happen is as you start to pay attention to those things, you start to be much, much better and faster at recognizing those things. And then you realize that in that process from this thing happened, now I'm angry. There's actually little tiny steps in between that, which you're making a decision to go with that anger. You're making a decision to to get caught up in that angry. Maybe not a conscious decision. Not conscious, but you but can it, make it conscious. need to You be, can make it, it conscious. But, but it doesn't need to be conscious for you to go through that cascade of emotions. It's become so, you are like a pro-level machine at creating that, the, boy, I'm really mixing my metaphors. You can get from one place to another so fast if you do it a lot. And it's stop. You stop noticing that. Process. And most you of us have 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 ignored that process. Most every single person, me included, have ignored that process for most of our life because we didn't or, start or out meditating when we getting, were two. Spent years getting good at that process. R really good at it. Really good at getting angry or getting anxious or getting sad or or whatever. Right. We we're all very very good at that because we haven't. We we most of us, almost all of us, don't have the right process in place to pay attention. We've never been taught that because we're normal human beings and <laughs> we get angry and we get sad and we get anxious and we get whatever. And our, our coping process has been to yell or punch a wall or, or cry or whatever it is that we do. And that's our coping or, you know, go, you know, get angry and go jogging for an hour and a half, whatever it is that we've learned to do to help us deal with it. It's, we, we don't see that there is that process and that there is that choice. And if we're really, really lucky and we work really, really hard and we meditate for a long time, we may get well enough trained that we can have a choice and, um, you know, and, and, and sometimes get out of being caught by whatever emotion we're feeling. One, one tip that I heard when I was getting interested in meditation and having trouble getting my head around it, which is exactly the wrong thing to do with meditation, um, <laughs> was, was realizing, and, and this, this, this example will, will, I think, prove that, it took one analogy. You can tell me if this is accurate or useful or not, but it was useful to me, not simply in meditation, but in thinking about distance from thoughts. Um, well, two things have been useful in meditation. One is that whole thing of learning to focus on the feeling of 
you know, breath going in and out of your nose. Mm-hmm. Like if you're the, the, for the mechanics of meditation, I found that very helpful. But one that helps me every day when I'm trying to think about getting distance from a, f- a feeling, some di- creating distance from a feeling or a thought, or just creating some ability to look at it. And it was I first heard it. I want to say it might have been in, um, it might be in Buddhism. Is not what you think. It's in one of the Buddhism books I read. But anyway, um, it might be Steve Hagen's book. I'll have to look. But the suggestion was that when you're meditating, meditation is the practice of standing on a bridge over a river full of fish and trying not to catch a fish. <laughs> so sit with that for yeah, a minute. Yeah, right. That really blew my mind. Because I was like, my problem was, you know, again, it's that thing in life where you're like, you spend your entire life like you're about to try and run down, run, run and break down a door. Like, okay, I'm really going to get ready to meditate now. And you get so keyed up and you realize like, no, it's the presence of mind to step onto that bridge and not catch a fish. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. So like next time you're ready to get mad at the internet, next time you're ready to get anxious about what somebody didn't say to you on the subway, next time you're starting to feel like, well, it's that time of day when I get nothing done and think about what a terrible person I am, step onto the bridge and don't catch a fish. So just get up there for a minute and go, first of all, I'm here and I'm just going to watch some fish swim by. And if you do that, you will notice that you are feeling things. You're probably feeling impatient and mad at yourself that you're not doing that thing you're supposed to be doing. You might feel like a doofus because you're more than C minus smart and you shouldn't be doing something this silly. But if you just sit there, you don't even need to get on a cushion the first time. But if you just stand there for a minute and go, I'm going to sit here and realize what I'm thinking about right now. Isn't that the beginning? That's, that's, that's the beginning of, of doing something a little bit more mindful than trying to just gather information about how you suck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. You're going to need a big, Dan, you're going to need a big basket for that. That's right. Because here's the thing. Anxiety is like a goat. <laughs> well, that was almost a good show, Dan. Well, I mean, it was a half, halfway, halfway to good. Yeah. I'm going to sit here and not catch a fish. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with me? Uh, oh, Dan, you want to button this up? Let's button it up, Merlin. Okay. I love you, Dan. I love you too, Merlin, man. 